Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to uh, the Living Word Fellowship online worship service. We're happy that you are with us today and every Sunday. And if you're also available, please join us every Wednesday, 9 p.m. for our online prayer gathering. This is an audio prayer gathering, so you could probably just listen to us every Wednesday. But meanwhile, let me thank you for joining us uh, religiously every Sunday afternoon. And so we hope that you're blessed and you will always be blessed by joining us uh, in this platform. And today, our topic uh, is taken from our weekly reading. We're now in the book of Second Peter. And we will be reading from uh, the epistle uh, according to Apostle Peter, or an epistle of, uh, of Peter, the uh, the Apostle, uh, we'll be reading from chapters 1 and chapter 2. And so with this, uh, let me invite everyone to read with me Second uh, Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 and Second Peter chapter 2 verses 1 and 3. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. So if you have your Bibles with you, please join me in reading these verses. Let us read this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And on Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, let us read, But false prophet also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of the way of truth, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. May the Lord be worshipped and praised by the reading of His Word. Let us all pray. Father, we thank You for today that You've gathered us. Thank You, Lord, for this Sunday that You have uh, gathered Your people wherever we are, Lord God, through this platform. Thank You, Lord. As we study Your Word, open our hearts, open our minds, be with us, Lord. And we know that the Holy Spirit will illumine us and will guide us in all truth. Thank you, Father, for being with us today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I've entitled this sermon, Heresy and the Excellence of God's Grace. Now, before I go further, let us first define what heresy means. And I will be taking this definition from a dictionary so that we will all be on the same page. Heresy is defined simply as an opinion or, most importantly, a belief contrary to an established belief or faith. Or it is a belief 
that is clearly in contradiction to biblical teaching. So that's what heresy is all about. And I've entitled this sermon Heresy because we will be tackling about a uh, about certain matters that are clearly in contradiction uh, to biblical teaching. And uh, Peter will bring us to that understanding. But before I go even further, I would like to ask this question. Why should we bother ourselves with a teaching about heresy in the midst of a pandemic? So this is the question. Why do we need to fuss about learning and combating heresy in the midst of COVID-19? Why it should be part of our preoccupation as believers? Where, well, we will answer this uh, succinctly later, but I'd like to offer you at least three things. What happens when we believe in heresy? Or what happens when we are led to wrong belief or false faith or an unbiblical view? Let me offer you these three things. First is that, among many other things, I know there will be a lot of effects, but let me just offer you three things. Wrong belief, as brought about by heresy, leads to wrong actions. And not just wrong actions sometimes, sometimes fatal consequences. Let me give you an example of this. Way back in 1977-1978, many of us are not yet born. I wasn't born that time yet. Jim Jones in 1977-78 led thousands of people to a murder-suicide in Jonestown, Guyana in, Central, in, in Latin America. That wrong belief led them to wrong action. It, it, it became even fatal to them. So that's one consequence. Another is false faith frustrates spiritual zeal. And this is a personal story of mine, and let me just concretize my point. When my mom got sick, he had um, a heart attack, and we were visited by a pastor. And then that pastor told us, and I didn't see it coming, ask my mom if she has any unconfessed sin or if she has done any terrible deed. I was perplexed and aghast by hearing those words. In my mind, this God is so retributive. And in the first place, it is not necessary for a person who's sick to hear those words. The list of things that this sick person would want to hear would be those condemnatory words like, do you have any unconfessed sins? That's why you are sick. Well, probably the pastor has not read, this man in the Bible is very righteous, but still got afflicted with a terrible disease. His name is Job. It's a wrong perception of God's grace. It's a wrong application of so many biblical things. And that frustrates my mom. That frustrated my mom and that frustrated me. Our spiritual zeal were dampened by that. And of course, the third one, among many other things, you could cite so many things, unbiblical view of God distorts the character of God. So it's important for us to know the 
correct or the biblical view of God so that the character of God will not be distorted. Some preachers, for instance, will say that God will bless you and that if God is with you, the acid test or the proof of that or the proof of God's favor is through material blessing. Again, perhaps the pastors or these preachers have never read the story of Job. A righteous man, but was tested by God. Everything was taken away from him. Of course, this is untrue. This is unbiblical to say the very least. So wrong belief leads to wrong action. False faith frustrates spiritual zeal and unbiblical view of God distorts the character of God. And that is why we should be very wary listening to others or even following a heretical teaching. We should be careful whenever we hear a preacher or whenever we follow a preacher because these things will be true to us. These are the matters and other more grave issues are the issues that Peter contended with in his epistles, in the epistles uh, in Second Peter. He knew, Peter knew the evil of false teachers and the destruction that they can create in the life of a person. So let me just give you a brief, brief background on the second epistle of Peter. The reason why I want to give a brief background on this because so that we could understand the rhetoric, the tone, and the language of Peter. Now, as a, as a uh, quick summary, the author of the epistle, of course, is Peter. As we could see in chapter 1, verse 1, he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he introduced himself as the author of the epistle. It was written in prison between 64 to 67 AD. In fact, many Bible scholars say it's two years before um, he was martyred. The addresses of the letter is, uh, are the churches in Asia Minor, the Roman provinces uh, in Asia Minor. And the issue that Peter wanted to discuss with uh, his addresses is actually regarding the false teachers. And this is again a polemic against false teachers. Let me just define to you polemic. Polemic is a strong argument or a persuasive argument attack against something. So Peter did not mince his words against false teachers. He wasn't very kind with his language. Why? Because, as I've mentioned earlier, he knew and he knows very well the destruction it could create to people and to believers. And so he made this polemic, an attack against false teachers. And grace, false teacher, and the parusha. Parusha means the second coming of Jesus Christ. These are the main themes and subjects of uh, Second Peter. Chapter 1 discusses about the calling of God, the grace of God. Chapter 2 is on false teacher. And chapter 3 is on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the parousia. So another theme of this is that the pursuit 
of knowledge of the knowledge of God is necessary for us to combat heresy and there's a grace that leads to perseverance so as a brief background this is what second Peter is all about it's a very short book so you could probably read it in your uh, sweet time but it's a very beautiful book so let's look at how Peter dismissed these false teachers and how he exposed them and how he described their end and presented their sinful exploits and we could find that very clearly in chapter 2 so what are the heretical issues in second Peter we have seen in verses 10 to 14 for the interest of time I won't be reading them the first issue that Peter is combating is this a prevailing thought of deviant sexual behavior or promiscuity as a legitimate Christian lifestyle another is from verses 4 to 11 is denial of God's judgment that God won't judge us anymore and the third one would be casting doubt on the parousia the advent the second coming of Lord Jesus Christ now when you look at these things I wanted you to take, take a look at these issues the heretical issues discussed in second Peter if you ask me these issues that Peter had to contend with are actually not new they have just slightly evolved they have just took another form another robe another masquerade they've just evolved perhaps but it's the same animal we know now that there are deviant sexual behaviors other forms of sexual lifestyle that now parades itself as a legitimate Christian lifestyle and it parades itself as the new normal and there are people who deny God's judgment we say that oh by the way God is a God of love he will not judge you and so many people are denying that the Lord will no longer return so these are the heretical issues that Peter uh, are contending with or is contending with but to be honest these issues are still here they are still prevalent this time again I've mentioned they've just evolved but it's the same animal and Jesus himself also did not did not mean words when he said this in Matthew 7 verses 15 and 16 he said beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fr fruits Jesus was very very strong in his teaching against false teachers he even told his listeners here that inwardly they are ravenous wolves so Jesus said beware they are in ships clothing meaning they use deceit they will deceive you and as we discuss Peter we will Peter will unravel it for us he will expose to us the characters of false or fake teachers of the scriptures 
and he will expose them and he will expose them to us now i want us to take a look on how peter exposed this false teacher and how he described them and again he, he wasn't really very kind with this because he knew again how these people can destroy the body of christ if we read the entire chapter 2 we see this and this is very true these are the colors of a false teacher first is that they are unbelievers of god in verse 1 it says there they are they are denying god in verse 1 even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves with destruction so they are unbelievers very clearly they are promiscuous and adulterous it's mentioned in uh, verses 1 10 14 and 18 i will just read uh, 14 it says that they in chapter 2 verse 14 in second peter it says they have eyes full of adultery insatiable for sin insatiable they can't be quenched they couldn't they couldn't fill themselves with so much promiscuity with so much lust with so much adultery insatiable for sin they entice unsteady souls they have hearts trained in greed accursed children and we've seen that in real life how false teachers fall into promiscuity into sensuality or even in wrong affairs and adulterous affairs and that would speak that they are also immoral and also i would say this is one hallmark of a false teacher they're exploitative and deceitful in verse 3 it says and in their greed they will exploit you with false words ganyan po yung mga false teachers they will exploit you there's so many preachers nowadays they exploit their listeners they exploit their members all they need to do all they want to do is to ask money from them give to the church give to the preachers nothing for the poor nothing for the community nothing for god as if they're god they deceive people they deceive people they exploit people of course they're blasphemers and they're greedy you know a preacher once said and i've heard this with my very ears if you're already 40 years old and you haven't had any promotion in your life what kind of god are you serving he even quoted deuteronomy 28 verse 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 13 that god's children are not head are, are heads and not tail i told myself wow probably i'm not a child of god and that is wrong why because they push people to have more money on this earth so that they could exploit them more so many false religions that come along and run about while their followers give a lot to their causes if you will just go on youtube find their false teachers and this you could just go on your way or even there's sometimes exposed if you go to netflix 
leader of a cult parades his mansion, his private jet, and while so many of his followers wallow in poverty. And that's true. These are the true colors of a false teacher. Peter exposed them in chapter 2. If you see this in any of the preachers that you follow, and I hope these are things don't manifest in us, if you see these things, you're following a false teacher. Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. You will recognize them by their fruits. And these are the fruits of a false teacher. And of course, as they have these characters, these are the exploits. This is what they do. They practice immorality. They live in greed. As what I've mentioned, a preacher would parade himself with a mansion, a very beautiful garden, just outside of that mansion, just outside of his compound. A lot of people wallowing in poverty, a squatter's area. They act irrationally and they can survive with besmirched reputation. We know of a preacher who was caught by government agencies for uh, violating immigration laws. But they can survive it. They don't care. Why? Because they will twist and turn every corner of truth so that they could deceive people. They would even claim that they are God. Imagine. And the sad part is this. So many people are following this kind of people. That's why in verse 13, they're described as blocks and blemishes. You know, Peter is very poetic. They thrive in foolishness and they exemplify emptiness. That's why Peter also described them as waterless spring. You thought you could drink from it, but there's nothing from it. Why? Because they're waterless. They're devoid, devoid of hope. They exemplify emptiness. While these characters are true and the exploits of these false teachers are looming before us as Peter exposed them, Peter also powerfully said this, that these false teachers will be destroyed. They will be condemned, they are enslaved of their sins, and they will be punished. And if we read um, verses uh, 4 up to 11, you would see there that P Peter used a chronological and biblical narration of God's punishment to the wicked. He likened this false teacher to rebellious angels and they are akin to people during Sodom and Gomorrah. So these false, false teachers are as abominable, abominable creatures like a fallen angel and akin to an immoral person like in Sodom and Gomorrah and assure that these people will be punished, these people will meet 
their end. Why is Peter so much interested in saying that these people will face their end? They will be punished. They will be destroyed. Because Peter is saying this, they are the enemies. But when you look into the text, we can see first that Peter discussed grace. And I'll be, uh, I will discuss that in a, in a little while. Peter has written this very powerfully, very strongly. He has written this polemic, an attack against this false teacher because he has a message to tell. These false teachers lead people to destruction. And that's why he was very unkind to them. So when we read the text, when we go back to the entire book of Peter, to the entire letter, we see there chapter 1 talks about grace, chapter 2 about false teacher, and chapter 3 discusses the second coming. So this is the question. What is the relationship of false teaching, grace, and the advent, or the second coming of the Lord, or the parousia? So again, when we see chapter 1, Peter discusses discusses here the calling of God to believers to live a life under the grace of God. In chapter 2, I said it's a polemic against false teacher. And in chapter 3, it's an argument in favor of the return of Jesus Christ, the truth of the return of Jesus Christ. Peter had woven these three major subjects into one letter because it has a significant effect on the life of a believer. It has a significance on the life of Christian, of a Christian. False teaching is the enemy of the correct understanding of grace and hope. That's why Peter discussed first grace, the calling of God to his people and the election of God the grace of God. And in chapter 3, he argued in favor of the second coming. Why? Because false teachers are the enemies of these two fundamental truths. False teachers, false teaching, and I'll say that again, is the enemy of the correct understanding of grace and hope. These two are fundamental to a Christian life. And I say this, the issue of grace is always at stake when there is false teaching. Wrong teaching affronts and devalues grace. False teachers will always confuse these two things. Confuse the doctrine of grace and the advent of Jesus because these two Fundamental biblical truths have one common element, hope. Because whenever we talk about grace, it talks about a renewed life, a promise of God to a new beginning. 
And whenever we promise of a new beginning, a new life, a forgiven life to a person, we give that person a hope. And when we look at the return of Jesus Christ and the second coming, we're also looking on our hope. We're also looking forward to our blessed hope. And so these two elements, the parusha, the advent, and grace, and these two fundamental biblical truths have one common element, and that element is hope. False teachers, false teaching will destroy our understanding of hope. Grace is at stake, especially nowadays. There's so many teachers teaching a wrong concept of grace. Grace is devalued for its real worth. Grace is taken as a bus ticket, a license to sin. You no longer need to repent, some preachers would say. A license to live an ungodly life. So let me just share with you my favorite theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a 20th century theologian and a martyr. He said in his book, Cause of Discipleship, and this will just really uh, perhaps open our minds to what grace is all about. Because now so many preachers are bargaining, cheapening the idea of grace. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a word to these people. He said this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. And this is so prevalent nowadays. There are teachers who said you don't need to repent. But that's cheap grace. That's a false teaching. That's why Peter is very, very clear and was very, very unkind to this false teacher because they affront grace. The costly grace, the precious grace of God is being cheapened by them. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline. And so many people will leave the church when they're being disciplined. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Imagine, we will be practicing cheap grace if we don't disciple others, if we don't lead others to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and to be Christ-like. What we practice is just mere cheap grace. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Let me just take you with one word. Absolution without confession. I was telling a brother one time that part of grace is that it restores. We could not and we cannot have grace without restoration. If we find grace and if we know what grace is all about, it would lead us to restoration and reparation. If you sin against someone and you're led to the grace of God, it would lead you to repentance. It would lead you to restore, to repair things. Look at what happened to a man named Zacchaeus. When he met the grace and the love of Jesus, 
he restored all his wrongdoings four times. We heard it from a preacher. I could not remember. He said that grace is free but never cheap. It is free for you but it's costly for God. And so Bonhoeffer continued. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus Christ is a grace to us. It is costly because it costs a man his life. It is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Who lost his life? Who gained his life here? Jesus lost his earthly life so that we may have one true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And this beautiful, it is grace because it justifies the sinners. This is grace. And he continues, Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but deliver him up for us. Costly grace is this, is the incarnation of God. When God became a human being, the incarnation of God. And that is why Peter discussed first the issue of grace, of living a life worthy of your call. Because that is what's being affronted here by false teachers. And in my title, I say grace is excellent. It is excellent because in chapter 1, grace is excellent because it's a gift of God. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from you. It is a gift of God. Grace is excellent because it calls us to be Christ-like. So the question is, how do we live in this grace? Not in this grace, but in this grace. If this grace is costly, do we have the ability to live in this grace of God? As what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying. I'll bring you to our text today. And it's very clear here. Let me just discuss this with you briefly. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says here, Peter said, this is actually the first, the premise of his entire polemic. He started with grace. He said, his divine power has granted 
to us all things, granted to us all things, the power of God, His divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To life and godliness. So the excellence of the grace of God is God, as He called us, has given His grace to us, He has given us this divine power. Not goldiness. Not to have gold. God did not give us divine power so that we can be rich. God gave us divine power so that we may have all things that would pertain to life and godliness. Binibigyan tayo ng kapangyarihan ng Diyos para tayo ay maging makadyos. And how? How can we access, how can we appropriate that divine power? that is granted to us so that we could live a godly life. How? Very clear. How? Through the knowledge of Him. There's a relationship between a victorious Christian life and the pursuit of God or the pursuit of the knowledge of God. As you know God more, you would be given the divine power that pertain to life and godliness so that you could live a victorious Christian life. So, it's not a secret. To live a victorious Christian life is this, is to live through the knowledge of Him, to read the Scriptures, to know who your God is. That's the way to live a victorious life. You don't need to read any other book, although it might help you. You can only mature, my dear brothers and sisters. You can only be more godly. You can only have all things that pertain to this life if you will pursue the knowledge of God, if you will read the Scriptures, read it. The problem with us is it's open to us, we're not reading it. Now, what is the effect? What is the effect? If you do not pursue the knowledge of God, and this is what Peter is saying here. False teachers will not bring you to the knowledge of God. It will bring you to a wrong God, to a false God, to a false belief. It will distort your view of God. It would lead you to a wrong lifestyle, to wrong action. It will dampen your spiritual zeal, as I've mentioned earlier. Why? Again, we see here that the reason why God is giving us divine power and granted us all things is that we, so that we could live a godly life through the pursuit of Him. And again, we see here, God granted us, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Very pre precious and very great promises. Now, you can claim the promises of God because you know your God. And this is our problem. We define our own God. We understand God in our own self-imposed understanding, with our own conception of God. 
the reason why God gave us this very precious and very great promises is this. And we can see here, so that we may partake of the divine nature. And what is that? The reason why you can have and appropriate the promises of God is so that you could be more Christ-like. So that you would become more like Jesus. So the reason why you'll be given divine power, so the reason why you'll be given precious and granted precious and very great promises is this. So that you could be more like Christ. The end goal is this. The end goal is righteousness. The end goal is Christ-likeness. Not for you to be rich. Not for you not to be sick. Because we will be poor in this earth. We will experience poverty. We will experience pain. We will experience sickness. But the promise of God is this I will give you the divine power I will give you very great promises and the reason so that you would become more like Christ to partake of the divine nature just try to grasp that to be partakers of divine nature what are these things what is the divine nature of God to be holy. And so, I hope we understand this. Why Peter is very much uh, interested in dealing, in, in affronting, and why he wrote this polemic against false teachers. Because of this, Peter wants us to understand why we were given power of God, why we were given great promises, what grace is all about. Grace that leads us to holiness. Grace that leads us to Christ-likeness. So the excellence of grace is manifested in transformed life. A God-fearing, Christ-like living and ever-hoping for the coming of the Lord Jesus. The excellence of grace is shown in our diligent expectation to His glorious return and to be found by Him without spot or blemish. We can only know, my dear brothers and sisters, the excellence of grace that leads us to a transformed life, to a God-fearing life, to a Christ-like living, if we submerge ourselves into the Word of God. Read it, savor it, ponder on it, breathe it, eat it, enjoy it. These are the words of life. These words contain the promises of God, the very precious and great promises of God for you so that you may partake and you would become partakers of divine nature. These words, my dear brothers and sisters, will lead you to all righteousness and will make you avoid false teachers and false preaching. The words of this book will refresh you, give you hope, allow you to know 
who God is. This God who loves you and His Son who died for you. And as I end, I hope we understand the value why Peter dismissed these false teachers, why he exposed them, why he described their exploits, why he revealed their end. It's because of this. False teachers affront grace and hope. False teachers will not lead you to the excellence of grace. And that excellent grace is manifested in a transformed life, God-fearing, and Christ-likeness. I hope, my dear brothers and sisters, today, as I close, that you would know God, you would fear Him, and you would discover His grace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today that you have led us to your word. Lord, I pray for your people today. Lead us to your excellent grace, Father. Lord, lead us to your word so that we may understand your truth and that way we may know you fully, who you are. And Father, I pray that you would lead us to all righteousness. You will lead us to an excellent grace, to a transformed life, so that we may partake of the divine nature, to be more Christ-like. And so, Father, as we become more Christ-like, we will expect for your return for our blessed and eternal hope. We thank you, Father. Be with your people today, I pray. And so, Father, whatever it is that they're going through, whether they face hardships, sickness, or difficulty, may your excellent grace, Father, lead them to an understanding that you are with them and you love them. Thank you, Lord. All this we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As we close today, may we receive God's benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, my dear brothers and sisters. May the peace of God be with you. And we will see you again next week for another online worship service. Thank you and God bless you all.